Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for those kids' bop records you own, you're an adult. You got a record of your favorite songs You got an hour and it won't take long You got a pair of brand new friends You got a ticket gonna stick to the end I said now hear this Now hear this Now hear this show myself a cynic. A lot of people do that I'm sort of a sour puss and have a jaundiced view of humanity, but I don't. Rolling down Imperial Highway The big nasty red out of my side Santa and the wind's blowing hot from the north People who know me well say that they can tell about my life and my song. Roll down the wind Put down the top Crank up the beach boys, baby Don't let the music stop Appearing on this record, Linda Ronstadt, Wendy Waldman, Jennifer Warren, uh, Don Henley, Bob Seger, Ricky Lee Jones, uh, Lindsey Buckingham. See, now you don't have to go to rock and roll heaven. Paul Simon. Yeah. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was going to come back for it, too. So we are back again with Now Hear This. Welcome for back. Episode four, Randy Newman's Trouble in Paradise. You have uh, taken me on a journey, much like Randy and the redhead across the streets and coasts of this great state of California. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's why I thought this would be a perfect episode for this because of the Randy Newman is an LA native. Yeah, North Hollywood, that's I think. That's right. Ooh, I'm going to crack open a... Ooh, a beer. Another beer. This is adult beer for adult people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Randy Newman. So Randy Newman released this album January 17th, 1983. It was recorded in 1982, released on Warner Brothers Records. And when I was in high school, somebody was like, oh, you play the piano. You like sarcastic, smart-ass shit. Why don't you listen to Randy Newman? I remember getting like a greatest hits. Yeah. And I Love L.A. was on this, yeah. as was... Blue, the Blues, right? Yeah. And uh, I'd like to say... Take Me Back and Real Emotional Girl, Same Girl. A lot of the tracks that are on this record ended up on that Greatest Hits. Yeah. So naturally, it just kind of ended up at this record. How, how did you feel about... Well, we're both... Uh, people who have been listening to the show know we're both about the same age. I yep. think I'm a couple months older than you, but... How dare you? <laughs> pr- prior to this, yeah. I had a lot of preconceived notions about Randy Newman. When I thought about Randy Newman... 
what I thought was Woody. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty much it. I thought of Toy Story and when they mock him on Family Guy and that voice. And I really, I can't describe to you how little I cared about digging into his discography based on those preconceived notions. I no interest because You've Got a Friend in Me is so sincere. Extremely sincere, right? And it's so sing-songy and childlike that I was just like, I've got this guy's number and I don't care to dial it because (laughs) I don't care who's on the other end. When Seth MacFarlane ruined Randy Newman for you. Seth, Tom's Woody, uh... All of it. And so when you were like, let's do Randy next, I was, I don't want to say apprehensive, but I was at the very least like, what am I in for? Yeah. I had a similar thought about Todd too when he did that. I was like, what am I in for? Oh no. So I cracked this album open Yeah. and I started listening to it Mm -hmm. and suddenly I got the joke. Yes. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Cause like, and we'll get to this in the songs. There's some things on here that should not work. Absolutely Under not. normal circumstances. This album really shouldn't exist. A lot of his albums shouldn't exist. Yeah. So I'm listening to this and there are a couple tracks in. I'm like, oh, oh, he's like super smart and a dick also. And <laughs> sorry, Randy. <laughs> but no, but like in a good way. Like yeah, I was in like, a oh, great okay. way. Right. It was a revelation to me. Absolute revelation. And then I watched, you'd sent me a video of him doing mm-hmm. a couple tracks on Letterman. And I heard him talk and I was like, oh my God, that's who this guy was this yeah. whole time? Mm-hmm. I was thinking of him like, you've got a friend in me. Like, that's all I thought of. I did not realize there was so much here. So much. And, you know, I had, I mean, I've lived with this record for, let's call it 15 years, even though maybe I heard about it in the early 2000s, late 90s. And it had been around for way longer than that. Yeah. I just liked the music. And I understand why Randy had such a successful career as a film score composer. Mm-hmm. He did all those movies. I mean, you can look that. Even when you're on Spotify, we were talking about this earlier. You're on Spotify, and you're, I'm even looking for this record because I'm like, I don't know where the CD is. And you're scrolling it past album after album of soundtrack. Yeah. And you dig all the way down. You're like, oh, this guy had a solo recording right. career. <laughs> and, I, and from what I understand, Lenny Warrenker, am I saying his name right? Warrenker? Lenny Warrenker. Yeah. He was at Warner Brothers and he was just a big Randy Newman fan. Yeah. And I didn't tell you this yet. I was there the other day, yesterday, and I'm walking, they just moved offices in this big facility downtown in Los Angeles. And I'm walking past and there was Lenny's name tag on an office. Yeah. And I'm like, is he, is that real? Are you, are you, oh yeah, he comes in every day. And I said, what is he working on the new Randy Newman album? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I think so. What? And you're like, oh. Come on! That's amazing. You know, he was his A&R guy, basically. Well, I could see how somebody who would become an evangelist for Randy or a super fan of Randy would defend him to the hilt and, like, be that passionate about his, right. his stuff. Because once you realize what Randy's all about, right, he's got something to say, and he says it very well. Right. And so to that point, I have this quote I pulled. Randy, in the middle of an interview, this is a few years ago, he says, and I quote, and it suddenly dawns on me, that's why I'll never exactly win the love of the American public. They want artists to mean what they say. I don't give them that. I'm interested in something else. I like the way I write, and I wouldn't change it. And he's referencing the fact that he is not singing from his perspective. A lot of people think he is. He's not. 
He's singing from the perspective of a Southern racist right. or some ignorant guy in a bar. Somebody in Cape Town. Cape Town, right. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, we'll get someone in L.A. who really believes that L.A. is as great as it is. Which, you know? which David Letterman takes him to task for in yes. that interview. And he's like, well, they're like, I like L.A. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Randy quotes something about like, oh, well, you know, the Beach Boys and the big redhead. Like, that's okay with me. He's an intelligent guy that people take the wrong way, Mm -hmm. is what you're saying. And I I took him the wrong way. And I was actually embarrassed by the way I took him after Mm. listening to this album, because I was in the car, like, actually saying, oh, like, to to no one in particular. Now I know why Ryan keeps, (laughs) I'm going to stop sucking air through my teeth every time he asks me to listen to a record. (laughs) Well, Ah. it was more... What am I in for? Like, I had no idea what to even expect. Yeah. And the album cover is like middle-aged guy with big glasses and looking kind of like a nerd or like your dad or something. And like, not your dad, but a dad, you know. The, oh, dad. The, yeah. ro- the royal dad. Uh, standing in, like on a, looks like the Pacific Coast Highway, probably in yeah. Santa Monica, leaning against a car. And I'm just like, this looks like every terrible mid-career 80s <sighs> album art I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I yeah. had, well, I was like, oh, what is this going to be? And, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Great. So Randy's career starts in the middle of the 60s. He was writing songs for other people, put out an album in 68 that is beloved. Is it beloved or beloved? I think, I think you could Do say both. both. Okay. Well, yeah. it's both then. Right. Then in 70, he had this big critically acclaimed album called 12 Songs. And that led him to release a, a live album, Randy Newman live and one of my favorite moments have you ever heard the song it's lonely at the top no. he intended to give it to sinatra oh. and it's lonely at the top get all they're all sarcastic all these songs <laughs> and in the recording he's singing and there's like four people in the audience and he's he's always like i always found it pretty ironic that there i was actually at the top <laughs> singing to like four people in this live show <laughs> After that, Sail Away in 72 and Good Old Boys in 74. Now, these are like very nice artistic statements, more or less big hits at the time for him. He has a really successful recording career at this point. And then 77, he drops Little Criminals, where short people. Short people, yeah. Which is a song about racism. You're right. He's trying to say, what I'm saying is insane. Yeah. Replace short with black or Chinese right. or fat or whatever. It's all the same sort of ignorance. But people didn't get that. No, I know. They, they yeah. got angry. I, I didn't either. I knew that song a little peripherally. And then we were talking about this a little before the recording. But after I listened to this album and got hooked on it and, yeah. and watched the Letterman performance, I went through and watched a bunch of videos on YouTube of him. And that was one of them. And it was the first time I'd ever listened to it with those ears. Right. And I was like, this guy's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was so in love with the idea of Randy Newman, the cool dad you never knew you had. Yeah, right. The yeah. cool dad you never knew you had. That's exactly it. Yeah. 79, he puts up Born Again, which is more or less a rehash of Little Criminals. I like it. Not everybody likes it. Didn't do as well. And so that leads us to where we are now. Yeah. And so many people consider this album we reviewed to be the apex, the, the zenith of Randy Newman's solo material. Because of how slick it is. I think he said that, too, if I'm not mistaken. I saw a lot of quotes uh, floating around online where he's like, I think that's the one that came together the best. Mm-hmm. Out of all of them, that's the one. And with my, you know, I've now dug in on this album as an adult. 
and my eyes are wide open, I, there are all these things I missed, I think he's right. I really do. It's commercially yeah. interesting. It's still aggressive and dark. And I mean, I love LA. Like what? <laughs> the video? <laughs> I, I've never been more prepared to hate something in my life. <laughs> yeah. But wound up just like, oh, well, I don't, we'll get into that in a moment. Yes. We can dive, I guess, into the album now. Well, should can I read my... Oh, oh that's right. Have, my favorite part of yeah, the show. We should title this something. Yes. How about Hot hot Takes? Hot, hot Takes. Hot Topic? Paul's Shots. Paul, t- Shots Across the Bow. We're going to... We're going <laughs> to... <laughs> How about Bullet Points? Bullet Points? Paul's Bullet Points? Bullet... bullet Just Bullet, bullet Points. Bullet Man. Are we saying anything right now? Is this anything Bulletin, at all? Bulletin, Paul. Bulletin. Everyone's turned this Hot off. Hot bullets. Hot bullets. Hot bullets. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Yeah, so, okay, my first one here. Like a humble rock and roll cobbler at his spin wheel, <laughs> unrolling my eyes. Yes. <laughs> you had me a cobbler. <laughs> the next one I have here. Billy, Harry, Bert, Art, Paul, and Randy. Excellent. Excellent. And my third and final hot take. Mm. Hot bullet, whatever we're calling is. As if I were stabbed by a stuffed animal. <laughs> You're still alive. Yeah. But you are confused. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened to me? How did it become this? So the first quote I pulled on I Love LA is from Randy Newman. It says, there is an aggressive ignorance to the song, ignorant and proud of it. There's nothing wrong with the Beach Boys and open-top cars. And another quick fact, Christine McVie and Lindsay Buckingham are on backing vocals on this, saying the, we love it, I love it. Which, again, brings us back to that Letterman interview, which I'm so happy you sent me, because in that interview, like he actively kind of trashes Fleetwood Mac and all that stuff. And then Letterman's reading off the list of people who were on it and Lindsey yeah. Buckingham's on there. Yes. <laughs> so it was crazy. I was really ready to hit. Like when I saw this track title come up, mm-hmm. I was A, angry at you. <laughs> B, angry at the record. Wouldn't be the first time. And I was ready to be dismissive because these kinds of right. like, I love this location songs. I was just like, gee, what kind of Huey Lewis bullshit am I listening right. to right now? And then you listen to it, it's like, boy, this hook is really good. And even though the sarcasm doesn't quite come through on this yeah. one all the way, it really kind of works. Oh, yeah. To the point where the next day I'm like putting this on playlists and I'm like listening to it for fun. And, and, Uh-oh. and it's popping to the top of the list. And I was like, this is great. We love it. I, I do love it. Yeah. I could do without that part of it right i think but right. i really i love this song i really do so i i didn't know this i pulled out i may read for a little bit but you stop me at any time so following the release of his sixth album born again like i just said randy newman heavily procrastinated 
writing songs for a follow-up, and spent a good portion of the next four years just relaxing at home with his family. Okay. He jokingly noted that because he often lounged by the pool, the gardener had to water around him. <laughs> this thing about that, having a career where you could just take four years off to hang out. I mean, it was for the good of his family, which is cool. He had a son who at that time, I guess, must have been middle school, elementary school. So yes. I guess that's a good opportunity. We mentioned him in the right. Letterman thing. Yeah, who I guess would eventually get sort of a weird punk band, but... You know, that's cool. He wanted to be there for his family. I get it. Yeah. To counter this lackadaisical lifestyle, Newman rented a recording studio in L.A. in 83, which did not have any telephones to distract him. I guess Mm. easily distracted guy. Yeah. And he recorded a song called Something to Sing About, in which the narrator arrogantly boasts about the suburban opulence around him. But Lenny... Warren Kerr, as we said before, disliked the song so much he opted not to include it on this album. And so this song was not used. The message of delusion and arrogance served as an inspiration for this track and then the rest of the record. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then wow. another source of inspiration came from a... Con- I can't believe it took me all this time to learn this. Another source came from a conversation he had with Eagles drummer Don Henley while on an airplane. And Henley told him that he could no longer afford to charter Learjets, to which Newman sarcastically responded, Jesus, that's tough. You can't live on a million a year anymore. (laughs) (laughs) During the same flight, Henley suggested to Randy that he should write a song about L.A. because he was a native of the city. And so that conversation is, and then the other unreleased song served as just the beginning of the themes of hedonism and disillusion found on the whole record yeah yeah to me this is the track where the sarcasm is least prevalent with the exception of maybe like some of the ballads but even if you don't read this on a sarcastic level it still kind of works anyway it really does and what the i think it's the dodgers use this song do they really i think it's the dodgers it's there's some la team i'd have to dig into that where it's like they win or it's the national right after the national anthem or something like that. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Write it and correct us if you'd like. <laughs> His piano playing is something else. When he sits down there and just starts going, it really is like watching magic happen. There's never a finger placed in the wrong place. It's got power, yeah. but, but it's also got that same spirit of which he treats the vocal. And he's just like, I... Sometimes, you know, him, Billy Joel, these people who are primarily piano-based writers, I find to be a little maybe plodding or, I don't know, I think I just prefer guitar-written songs for their core structure. But Mm -hmm. I really love his brand of writing, his brand of melody. Could listen to it all day. And which is never something I ever thought I would say about Randy Newman, by the way. So like... You've done changed. your job. Yeah. Changed you. Yeah. Hopefully we're changing some listeners' minds too. And there's a guitar solo on this one, which I I realizing now I say in like every episode, I think <laughs> I just really like guitar solos. But there is one on this song. That's okay. Yeah. I wish it was on the whole album, but it's there's one on here that's really good. Yeah, so this song was recorded at Warner Brothers recording studios in Hollywood with Lenny and Russ Titleman. Yeah, Russ Titleman, who yeah. produced George Harrison's self-titled album in the late 70s, had a great run of stuff. Russ, hell of a nice guy. We met him at some Beetlefests. Oh, you have? Well, maybe he's listening now. Hello to you, Russ. 
If not, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> so, so several members of the rock band Toto provided the groove, and then Wadi Watchell played the rhythm guitar. And I don't know, I love this song. I love how the, the opening, leave New York to the monkeys, leave Chicago to the, is that racist? Am I being racist? I, to the Eskimos. Yeah, I was like, dressed like monkeys. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but I love in the video, it's like this noir kind of setting. He's like in a trench coat and like black and white. And then when he gets to LA, the sun is shining and it's all in color. And Oh, what a video. <sighs> it's like the women in bathing, oiled and bathing suits. Yeah. And then it's the, like the oil <laughs> pump. And then it's the Chinese theater and then the women again. It cuts to the cleavage and then back to like the Chinese theater and then to like extreme poverty for a half second before it moves on to something else. He's like, look at that bum over there. He's on his knees. He's down on his knees. Yeah, well, that's the, I mean, that's one of the funniest parts in the song. Yeah. So it kind of just goes through the lyrics and he's more or less explaining to you in an, I read it as ignorance in the, man... Everything's perfect out here. We got those mountains, the trees, the bum barfing in the gutter. That's great. Look at the women. There's nothing like it, man. And he starts listing those streets. Century Boulevard, Victory Boulevard, Santa Monica, Monica Boulevard, Bo- yeah. 6th Street. Are these that great as streets? I mean, Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> I mean, Cheryl might have a bone or two to pick about that one. But otherwise, yeah, no, not great. Sixth Street? No way. <laughs> I've never been, oh, I'm going to Sixth Street. I'm going to have a great night tonight. Never, not one time. I'm always so. thinking about where can I park my car where it is not going to get broken into. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that is the, this is the whole point of Randy Newman's songs. We've more or less said that it's so subtle and so subversive. You don't mm-hmm. even realize it for a while. You def- right. I definitely didn't hear it on the first spin. I thought he was just talking about how much he loved LA. Mm-hmm. Very clearly not. Any other thoughts on this track before we go to track two? No, just want to point out that as we approach track two, even though I liked the end of I Love LA, and by that point I was like, okay, all right. I'm like dipping into the pool very slowly i saw the track two title christmas in cape town pop up and i went god damn it ryan (laughs) and i was like what no i can't what what have what have i done and i'm thinking like oh okay he wrote he's a good songwriter i guess he's writing a christmas song again not realizing the sarcasm yet Right, 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 right. And then he starts dropping N-bombs. And I'm yep. like, wait a Track minute. Too, yeah. In Christmas in Cape Town. And I start listening to the lyrics. And now I think this is maybe not my favorite on the album, but definitely top tracks on the record. And I've been humming the chorus and stuff in my head. I just can't get it out. Like, yeah. it's so good. It's and a it, very yeah. good song. And I and this is one of the tunes I didn't really love until this spin. Yeah. When, it, when I was 18, 19, whatever... I didn't know what apartheid was. Right. I mean, I probably should have. But like in the 80s, you had what? Little Steven doing I Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Yeah. And you had, uh, you know, various other apartheid, anti-apartheid musical ventures. So I didn't realize that that's what he's talking about. And then he starts talking about Africa. And I, I was like, oh. Uh-oh. I get it. Yeah, so an anti-apartheid song, which examines the situation through the eyes of a South African racist. Yes who chastises his English guest or girlfriend or something for showing sympathy to 
African Americans. Well, not African Americans. Well, I guess just Africans. Africans, yes. <laughs> oh wow, how ignorant do I sound right now? Oh boy. So yeah. So this song was criticized by a lot of people who missed the point. It's you know yeah. I think it's one of Newman's angriest and most effective. Yeah. Attacks against racism. Sure. Yeah. It remind this one reminded me the most. We were talking about Elvis Costello in the last episode. This one had a, a little bit of a Costello vibe for me. Almost in the vein of like a it had the viciousness of like let him dangle or something. Like oh, it was yeah. you could feel this right. anger coming through his vocal. I don't know, man. The melody he's able to achieve to accentuate the point he's trying to make, and every song has a point. I was just like, I did not even know this was here. How did I not get this? And maybe that comes from, so these five people sing background vocals. Don Henley, Bob Seger, Wendy Waldman, Linda Ronstadt, and Jennifer Warnes. (laughs) Hey, will you come sing on my clearly anti-racist but slightly racist song? Oh, yeah. Let's get Bob (laughs) Seger. Wow, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, exactly. You know, so Randy said that this song was a good idea, but he thinks it should have been sung by a guy with an English or otherwise accent. It shouldn't be an American accent. Yeah, I can see that, but it works anyway. Right. I think he's probably just being too hard on himself. Maybe he's joking in that interview. Who knows? And then so Randy goes on to say there's two songs in this album, Cape Town, that's this one, and then Mikey's, which we'll get to. Yeah, we will. Which are about 40-ish people whose life had changed from underneath them. They used to be 22-year-old surfer types, North Beach type guys, and then things change. It's about a bad reaction to change. And knowing that, when you read it or hear it, you're like, that's so much better. I thought this guy was just a big jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when the end bomb started flying, I was like, well, that's brave. Right. I was like, I didn't know what to make of it because I wasn't expecting it. Um, but I don't know. There's a lot of different levels of cultural sensitivity that has evolved over the course of a few decades. In this, in the case of this song, I don't think you could ever build an argument that this is 100% inappropriate because mm. it's the message is so anti-racism and bigotry and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it I is. Don't I don't know. Yeah. Sometime. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that one again. Actually, yeah. when we leave, because yeah, it does get in your head the piano. There's a descending piano thing. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's just so perfect. the The way he crafts his melodies is just amazing. Thank you, Randy. So the third track, and then again, I remember hearing this one, the blues. Yeah, and taking it right on the nose. And going, oh, yeah, this is just a nice song about a boy at a piano. I didn't realize he's taking the piss out of singer-songwriters. Yep. And then all of the most emotional singer-songwriters in the world shows up. It's Paul Simon. (laughs) He's got the blues. He's got the blues. You can hear it in his music. He's got the blues. When I was nine years old, my daddy ran away with a woman on the train. Oh, his little boy ran to where his piano. Follow me on a journey, if you will. I can't wait. I'm in my car. Oh boy. I am actively angry at you for I Love LA. (laughs) 
And then I hear it and I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I hear Christmas in Cape Town. I'm like, actually, what is yeah. this? So the confusion is setting in. <laughs> and then I hit the blues. And the sarcasm really isn't known to me yet on the level that it actually is. Yes. So when I'm listening to the blues, I am taking it as fairly straightforward. And as you mentioned, Paul Simon being on something immediately adds just a, mm, a little <laughs> right. more, just cranks that sensitivity up just a little yeah, bit absolutely. more. Because by virtue of who he is. But when you listen like this song, if, even if you take the blues at, at face value, mm-hmm. it's catchy as shit, man. Mm-hmm. When it's like, and I was humming this one. So I, I drove for three songs, got out of the car after the blues. And Threw I was, up. <laughs> no, and I was walking up, walking along the street going, he's got the blues. This boy has got the blues. You can hear it in his music. And I'm like, holy shit, that's really, it's yeah. a good lick. It's a nice little, you know, jingle. Yeah, you miss it because of the strength of the song. Yeah, yeah this one's mean, mocking the confessional songwriters. Yeah, hustling down the city streets and selling his ass for a dollar bag. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he sneaks those in and you're like, wait, 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 wait. What was that lyric? Did he really just? Yeah, he yeah. did. There's a little Bruce Springsteen on that, too. Yeah, and, and if you go back to Cape Town, he talks about jungle land. There is a, definitely a theme of Bruce mm-hmm. on this whole record. Yep. And, well, I mean, Bruce is one of the biggest artists in the world at this point. Is he, is he mocking Bruce for selling out? I don't know. Because Born in the USA, from what I understand, at that time was viewed as a sellout. Is that right? Well, at least, I mean, from like my dad and people of his generation, they, they're they all elitists about mm. pre-Born in the it's USA. It's about Nebraska, man. I don't care for Nebraska. <laughs> you know, there's apparently an unreleased E Street version of Nebraska in the vault. Same as uh, the Wings version of Band on the Run. S- sitting there somewhere. I got to hear that. Maybe we have and we didn't even know. <laughs> Ooh, we went all the way back to <laughs> We find our way there. Uh, I, my third note on this track is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Simon. Because <laughs> talk about a guy who's having a moment in the early to mid-80s. He was about to anyway. I think Pre-Graceland. We, Pre-Graceland, but Graceland was about to happen. About to just... Yeah. yeah. Because the song, yeah, I listened to a lot of Graceland after this. I love that album. There's a, a pounding quality mm-hmm. to a song, especially in the bridge, that helps the melody transcend the 80s sitcom theme it portends to right. be on the surface. Yeah, yeah the sax or the synths and all it that. It does. Maybe. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you've got Charles and or whatever, whoever is coming out. Maybe the hookiest of any song on the album. Yeah. In a, good, in a good way. Yeah, as a song for sure. Yeah. Randy had said that he regrets the song because it mocks the young protagonist for seeking solace from his troubles. And then by going into Paul Simon singer-songwriter mode. But then a couple of years ago, somebody asked him that again. Like, do you still regret the song? He's like, nah, a little bit. <laughs> so he's, he's softening to it in his older age. And Randy once said, I resent Paul Simon's belief in himself as a poet. And a Rolling Stone magazine writer found that and presented that to him again. And he's like, now he's singing a duet with you. No response. So, (laughs) you know, this is, but I think that's all of these things add to the intended irony of Trouble in Paradise, L.A., all of these characters. I don't think he's above poking fun at himself. Definitely not. 
So track four, Same Girl. This is another one where I'm like, oh, this is just some kind of love song. But then it slowly reveals itself to be much more alarming. <laughs> yeah. This is one I checked out on originally. I, it was, you know, the ballads are, it's, it's quiet. It's a quiet song. Yeah. And more subtle than some of his other stuff, albeit with really lovely strings and his vocal performance. I just want to comment quickly about his voice. Like, his voice is easy to mock. Because before you realize that he is mocking everything, and if you think he's being sincere, that yeah. voice really doesn't translate all the time. It's, it can sound a little cartoonish, shall yeah, we say? Yeah, yeah. But actually, after listening to this album, I had a new appreciation for his vocal range, and I thought this song was a great example of it. it sounds like he's singing it in a bar, like a dimly lit bar at night, and it actually works really well. So I found this online. I'm not going to say that this is exactly what it's meant to be. I agree with everything you're saying. Is he in the role of a pimp of some kind trying to convince some kind of drug-addicted prostitute that she's still the same person she always was? I found that in a forum. Some, that's how they interpreted it. Do you read it that way? Because I would never heard it that way. I read it as sincere... I read it as sincere. I'm just whore. Paul is packing your stuff up right now, everyone. <laughs> no, I mean, I would say at the very least plausible based on his track record. <laughs> yeah, so taking something dark and doing it in this really tender way. Boy, I'm trying to now think about the lyrics in relation to that. Let me pull those up. You're still the same girl you always were. Still the same girl you always were. A few more nights on the street, that's all. A few more holes in your arm. A few more years with me, that's all. Still the same girl. Same sweet smile you always had. Same blue eyes like the sun. Same clear voice that I always knew. Still the same girl that I love. And. The holes in the arm. That was what tipped it off. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, even if that's not pimp, then that's like him criticizing. Or maybe not criticizing, but. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what that's what character he's playing in that scenario. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know either. It's one interpretation. But he definitely does not, even in these intimate moments, he definitely takes the shot. He always goes left. You're like, oh, this is a nice little love song. Yeah. And then, oh, no, it's, it's, no. Not, it's not quite that. I think I may have even glossed over the holes in the arm thing yeah. and not even... The subtlety of Randy Newman, ladies and gentlemen. Jeez, man. See, Randy said that he loved the record. He didn't love the song as much. You know, years later, he said it sounded like it was a made-for-television kind of thing. As, yeah. Whatever that means. Now, track five, Mikey's. Yeah. I, I did not understand what this was until I started digging for this episode. <laughs> and, you know, he starts the track. Yeah. He says, have you seen my Marie? Yeah. So, Marie, that's, that's an earlier Randy Newman song. So he's tying back into, I think that's the good old boys that that record's on, which is an, an album about like the ignorance of the South. Yeah. Not exactly, but don't throw any stones at me for that. I didn't realize this is two guys in a bar. Hmm. And a conversation between a bar owner and one of his regular customers is they bemoan the changing times that have brought a greater ethnic diversity. Right. 
to the area and then the techno music the soundtrack yeah crazy it it reminded me we we did this one in fiery furnaces at the same time i was like oh there's some overlap here in fact my first note on this was lcd sound system has made a career out of riffing on this Mm. Um, because it sounds just like their stuff yeah i definitely i didn't get the bar part but i got the at this point i started to realize how funny he was yes one and now it's starting to dawn on me oh Oh, that's who he is And where are we? The moon? <laughs> when he says, whatever happened to the fucking Duke of Earl? <laughs> Which, I, by the way, Brian Eno's favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> and we did it. We thought we couldn't, ladies and gentlemen, but we did it. I laughed so hard when he said, whatever happened to the fucking Duke of Earl? <laughs> I know the note on this. It's just crazy in all the right ways. It's grating at the outset, but it doesn't linger on that grating stuff long enough to be annoying. And it really does. Like if you didn't get the sarcasm, which I didn't up to now, you're on the same page. Yeah. Yes. Because there's no way anybody would be saying that, especially him in this setting, the things that are said in this song. Right. Yeah. You can't go back after that point. Like, oh, I yes, I get it now. So even though it's not my favorite on the record, this one was like the key. That opened this one up for me, like okay, right. You kind of need the key to get into the house, yeah. And in my opinion, the next song is the house. I would agree with you. My life is good. Handily, my favorite on the record. On first listen, this is where every single preconceived notion I ever had about Randy Newman shattered to pieces <laughs> on the ground. Yes, I was like, yes, whoa, and I felt this one in my core, in just my soul. I heard this one just fired through me. So good. The lyric, I just want to make sure I get it right. Is it bag or yeah, my, bat? My life is good, you old bag. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to his, so in the song, it's in, and there's actually, it's funny. I find a lot of similarity between Randy Newman and Weird Al Yankovic. And I don't say right. that in a derogatory way because I happen to think Weird Al is quite a, a talented and accomplished singer-songwriter of his own. That said, there's a, there's a Weird Al song called Why Does This Always Happen to Me? Yeah, I know it. And the whole song is about this horrible tragedy and how it impacts him in the most infinitesimal, like the, in the most the tiniest, super, tiniest superficial way. Like he's in his car crash and everybody's dead, but he's going to be a couple minutes late to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is or, a good song. And then there's this big tragedy on the TV and it interrupts his TiVo taping of The Simpsons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> so this is a very much a precursor to that in a lot of ways, but it's all about how he, he is clinging, this character he's playing, is clinging to this idea that no, 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 my life is good. So bad things can't happen to me because Maybe my I'm life... not understanding the English language. Yeah. You don't seem to realize. Yeah. He's talking to, and, and Bruce McMouse is back. He's talking to the teacher at the school about, and the teacher's like, or the principal, whoever it is, is like, yeah, your kid is a fuck up. <laughs> your kid is bad. He, he this doesn't. This is a terrible kid you have. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. My life is good. Therefore, my kid is good. Therefore, you don't know what you're talking about. And at one point in the song, Bruce Springsteen invites him to join the E Street band. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, play it, big man. And a big sex solo comes on. Hey, Rand, I'm tired. How would you like to be the boss for a while? Yes. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, and those chords. Yeah. It's like you can see the halo <laughs> turn on in the track over his head. Oh, it's so good. Blow, big man, blow. Yeah. I. Oh, my God. Referencing Clarence Clemens, the 
saxophone. I actually looked at it. I was hoping it was Clarence, but Clarence, <laughs> Clarence didn't play that sax solo. I wish he did. That would have been amazing. Yeah, yes. And so, yeah, this fully produced version is so excellent. And then he released a couple of years ago, it's like the Randy Newman songbook where mm. he's doing all of his air quotes, biggest hits, just him and the piano. Yeah. And this at the piano is brutal. Really? Because you hear all the little all the little lyrics and all the little riffs. I heard an acoustic or a him and a piano and a guitarist accompanying him from the late eighties doing this song. And he, he did cut out a little bit of things here and there, but yeah, you really you hyper focus on what he's saying. And when he's playing, he's so animated at the keys, but it also feels effortless it feels like his arms are just doing what they were always gonna do yeah and he's a great pianist he's so good he's so so good a couple weeks ago my wife and i took a little trip down to mexico met this young girl there we brought her back with us now she lives with us in our home she cleans the hallway, she cleans the stairs, she cleans the living room, she wipes the baby's ass, she drives the kids to school, she does the laundry too, she wrote this song for me, listen. Yeah. This song made me like joyful, like I was so happy when I heard this song. And then from this point on, I was just like, I think I'm a Randy Newman fan. <laughs> yep, well, we did it. We went past it. And the last thing I'll say about this is, this is a Randy Newman quote. In a song like My Life is Good, I just want people to notice that the guy is an asshole. (laughs) We do. All right, we got it, Randy. We do. I think by verse one and verse one. So Drake takes us to Miami. So I Love LA didn't ring the sarcasm alarm bells for me at first. This one does. This is more of like the hitting the nail on the head version of I Love L.A. Because by at this point in the record, I'm just like, Randy, take my body. <laughs> take my body take, is ready. I am ready for you. Yeah. And even when I'm not engaged, you know, 100% in what's going on, there's still enough going on even in the melody. Like if you're, if you're checked out of the lyrics for a moment, you have the melody to take you through. If you're checked out of the melody, you have the lyrics to take you through. And this is a great example of that. And then there's such a joy to the music, such an upbeat quality for again for some place he obviously has a certain level of disdain yeah for i think the quote best dope in the world and it's free it's free yeah so it's about a insufferable tourist who you know in his hawaiian shirt is just dancing around Mm. going to miami to buy drugs and have a good time i like the song i don't love it as much as i love la yeah or a few of others but yeah it's the it picks up where i love la left off and i i couldn't find anything on it but maybe that is <laughs> what other city can i take the piss out of now <laughs> oh i know well yeah if i love la is the the la native talking and then this one's the outsider perspective okay that's the difference i'll take la over miami that leads us to real emotional girl now maybe you can help me with the sarcasm on this one mm-hmm. because much like same girl i don't I maybe I didn't get it or wasn't listening quite so close because it just sounds sort of sweet to me. Right. So this is a quote from Randy. He said, I saw the guy as a sort of a bad guy. I don't think you should be relating all those confidences, telling anyone that she cries in her sleep. I think the girls made another mistake. That's the point. I see. I Yeah, I hear it as a nice love song as well, though. It, it could go both ways. 
Yeah, the ballads didn't engage me as much as the other stuff because they are very slow and quiet, purposefully. So I think that's why the sarcasm didn't hit me over the head on those. But um, I'm glad to hear it's there because I would be devastated if one of these was just randomly sincere. She turns on easy like a hurricane. I like that image. Yeah. Kind of chaotic and insane. Yeah, I don't love the ballads as much as I love things like Dixie Flyer. or I mean, these aren't on these albums. Uh, Rollin' or when he's upbeat. Yeah. Even when he's doing You Got a Friend in Me, <laughs> I'll take that over something like this. But it's still a great song. You really listen to a McCartney ballad. Yeah. Well, it's, what's, the, what's the one where he's talking about uh, dropping the big one? Political Science. Yes. That's a great song really good one yeah that's i'm just talking about the ones that engaged me that one was is not on this record and i was like holy shit the europeans when we saw that in that interview the europeans thought political science was they didn't realize it was a joke (laughs) where he's talking about nuking planet earth to make a bigger america they're like well that's what that's what we're trying to do here so yeah real emotional girl track nine take me back don henley and bob seeger are back on background vocals. And apparently everything in the lyric is true about Randy, except for Stanford. Huh. He went, he studied music at the university of California, but dropped out one semester shy of getting his BA. Wow. Did not know that. I thought this was a nice ode to nostalgia in some ways. Yeah. Which the record seems too cool to warrant. I found this one also to be a little sincere. I guess he's pointing the, his sarcasm mirror at himself here, but He's talking about divorce, I guess, a little bit in this one and stuff like that. And I took that as emotional and really, again, felt like Paul Simon stuff from this era to me. Yeah, this, I don't really come back to this one too often, but it's a decent song. Yeah. It's decent enough. He actually, in this song, says, I got troubles, baby, you got them too, which is also when you've got a friend in me. (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't know. I didn't even pick that up. Yeah. That's funny. Well, this song to me is similar to the next song, mm. and I'd take the next song over Take Me Back. There's a party at my house, which is this rockin' sort of 12 bar blues thing mm-hmm. that's chugging right along until the end. Let's talk about I'm Different. Okay, so this is another funny one. Track 11. I was aware of this one. Jennifer, Wendy, and Linda are back. Linda Ronstadt, that is. And it's like a zippity doodah kind of thing. Yeah, it's... um. How are you aware of this? I don't know where I heard it, but Gosh Darn Game had the whole... That thing crept into my subconscious from someplace because I was aware of that line. And I didn't actually know that his, when he says it, it's goddamn game, but when the chorus says it, it's gosh darn game, because it has that childlike kind of quality mm-hmm. to it. This one aligned most with my preconceived notions about Randy. Yeah. But the content of the lyric, I think I gave more credence, or maybe paid attention more this time around and realized more of what he was saying. It's Right. It is not this nursery rhyme, really, although it's got the trappings of a nursery rhyme. It's, it's got, you know, it's got Dylan's tooth on it. You know? Dylan's tooth is back. Yeah. 
I ain't saying I'm better than you, but maybe I am. But maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was the line where I was, because it's, again, on first listen, I was just letting this thing happen to me and I wasn't really understanding everything that was happening to me. And, but when I heard that, I was just dying laughing. It was so funny. We were talking about the blue birds singing in the tree. Yeah. And they sing for him. And goes, Thanks, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny little game for sure. I mean, it's a funny little song. Mm-hmm. I like it. I do too. Definitely lifts you up after the last track. Yeah. It's going chugging along, and then you're like, oh, wait. And then it, it, the story flips. Right. And all of his music is naturally cinematic, right. is the point. And that's why he probably has this big movie soundtrack career. I just can't believe that, that Disney's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because he. This does, is perfect. It's not just Toy Story. Like, he, that's how people know it. Like, kids our age know him for that. Like, they just do. So it just strikes me as so strange that a guy who was so subversive wound yeah. up being a voice for the man. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, seriously. The biggest conglomerate, maybe not at that time, but certainly close to it now in the world, for sure, surely the biggest entertainment conglomerate. What happened to George Lucas? He was an indie. And now he, he is, is the man. The mouse ate him. Yeah, that's right. The mouse ate Randy. It's... <laughs> With that one Dylan tooth. I hope he's coming for us. I can't wait to sell this thing out. I never I, liked Paul. No, cut him out. I, for one, welcome my, my rodent overlord. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he did none of the work. <laughs> oh, boy, just kidding. So track 12, Song for the Song Dead. For the Dead, a solid closer. Yeah, and it really just hits you like a sack of bricks to the face, doesn't it? Yeah, this one is a little more straightforward. Anti-Vietnam. Yeah, and and like a lot of 80s rockers were dealing with Vietnam fallout and that stuff. It, I guess Randy wasn't immune to that. It was such a big cultural thing, pr- primarily because like you know people aren't really singing about Iraq war veterans now. No. But... That's a good point. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it, and I'm thinking, like, I think the draft probably had something to do with that. Yeah. Like, it was so involuntary that people who wouldn't have been in the mindset to say yes to killing somebody had to. Right. And so that probably screws up your head, maybe even a little bit more than somebody who says yes without maybe even fully understanding what they're doing. So, anyway, yes, this is about Vietnam War veteran fallout and stuff, and... Well, it's a Vietnam War veteran, a lone soldier, burying the dead, and he's talking to them, and he's trying to justify the American involvement in the war. Yeah, saying uh, there's a one line right about how he's burying the person next to a Vietnamese soldier, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. And there was something really, some really poignant line about how they're not different or whatever it was. But I was like, ooh, this is heavy. Yeah, let me pull that out. Now our country boys, though it's quite far away, found itself jeopardized, endangered boys, by these very, I'm going to say the G word, you can look it up, who lie here beside you forever, near, forever. Beside you. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's scary, emotional, dark. Yeah. Definitely the opposite of how the album starts out, at least in terms of tone. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it. That's the whole album. Just in closing, I I was 
charmed by this record. It had me smirking. It had me laughing. It had me ahaing. It had me everything in between. I know I like something when I listen to it, not because I have to. Mm -hmm. And I listened to this album a couple times to prepare for this episode. And then I kept listening to it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I really like this album. And I love LA and the blues wound up on playlists pretty fast for me. So I, I wound up loving this. It makes me want to dig into his earlier catalog more people should check out that video of him talking uh, to david letterman because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there including he's talking about how some of his songs were rejected when he was just a a songwriter for hire yeah and they would i think as he said they were rejected for better carol king songs or something like that so he was in that crowd that was writing for bands like the monkeys and writing for bands like that didn't have writers in the group and so uh, the voice and heart and the, all that stuff. Uh, he's talking about follow-ups, people that needed follow-ups. You mm-hmm. have a hit, and like, okay, we got to give them something to keep the yeah keep the fire going. I would also say his voice is way more complex than I ever thought it was, and he's got a varied range. And sometimes, I while I still find myself torn about it, in some cases, in other cases, I'm like, well, that's the only voice that could deliver some of these right. messages. Yeah, it's the only one. Yes. So. And yeah, I'm not really sure why people disliked his voice or do. It's just different than than, than what else is out. Like he, I don't think a guy like Randy could happen now. And if he if he would, it would be a niche sort of indie thing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I always want to say no until with him. I feel like there's a cult of personality aspect yeah. to it. Oh, he's so smart and so. I feel like he, the only way he could happen now is if there was a similar cult of personality around that person and you kind of got the joke or whatever it was, right. you know? Yeah. But he's, I would never say maybe, I think I wound up going into this thinking him more as like a competent vocalist, if not kind of Muppet-like. Um, but I walked out of this thinking, oh no, this guy can really sing. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I think we just we just about covered it. I hope that <laughs> <laughs> I I want to be very clear. I don't condone any of the negative behavior of any of these terrible characters that Randy Newman has created. This was fun, Ryan. I thank you for sending me this. This is why I love this show because I would never ever have given this a, the time of day. I just not because of I you know I, I hated I hate this album. I would just. I never would have done it. So I'm really yeah. happy you showed me this because I'm now like, oh man, Randy Newman. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I get it now, you know? Well, on that note, thank you for listening and thank you all for listening and we will see you on our next episode. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to keep them guessing. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now here this podcast on Instagram, at now here this pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash now here this podcast, or email us at now here this official at gmail.com. See you next time. Oh god, I'm gonna get roasted for this one. <laughs> I can't run for president anymore. No more beer house before. <laughs> Well, hey, Brian. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute 
mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming. Well, they can donate, featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>